Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Do North Outdoors podcast, episode two. I am Natalie Dillon, joined by Travis Frank. We are the hosts of the Do North Outdoors television show and now the podcast. Episode two, Travis, how are you feeling today? I feel good. I feel like I just mentioned before we were recording, I feel liberated because after our first episode, the morale mushroom episode, you said, Natalie, that what did we I say? can have butter. Uh, and then it feel good about that. And and that you recommended it. Did you follow fact. through on that? I did. And I have been using so much butter on my morale <laughs> mushrooms and other things too. The other night I made morale, I always saw Tim in butter. And then afterwards I took that butter and I poured it over the top of the steak oh, as yum. well. And I was like, Natalie would recommend this. That is like a, this that's is a gourmet good for move. Me. Yes, exactly. So I've had more butter in the last two weeks than I've had in the last year. And I, I just thank you. It's funny you bring that up because so, so my mother, shout out to my mom. She listened to our first episode and she yeah. said it was great. She's like, I've got one question. How is it that butter is good for you? I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe yes. I should explain this. So it's better than like some other stuff, than some other sure. oils and cooking sprays and this and that. I'm a, I'm a real food in moderation is good food. So good butter done well. There's yeah. worse things. And it's, it's so tasty. It's fantastic. It makes us happy. And then I te- we texted you and I texted and Brandon a couple times this weekend and you did say in moderation. So I've had it... Not every meal, but like half of my meals Good. in the last two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of morales this season. It's been the year of the morale. Yes. Yeah. And we have to say, so our, our first episode, we talked a lot about, well, what this podcast is going to be, but morale mm-hmm. mushrooms foraging. And that was really the first day that we were starting to see morales pop up around mm-hmm. where we are, um, central Minnesota. And I think we all went out mushroom hunting that day. Mm-hmm. And I can say without... Too much further research that Travis is the winner among the group. How many did you get this year? Well, I didn't hunt as much as I would like to, um, but I got out last weekend and my brother and I probably picked maybe close to 200, a little bit more than that. And then I took my kids out and we picked another probably 60 or 70 and went out another time and picked another probably like 30 or 40. I don't know. I would guess like 350 for the year that I've picked. But I think they're still going, actually. Yeah. Um, I I think this cold weather, and then we got more rain. I think there's another batch. Um, I've seen years where, you know, we get four, five weeks, and we really have only been two weeks of, of season here in central Minnesota. This rain over the Memorial Day weekend, I think, is really going to kick up another batch um, in the the coming days here. So <clears throat> I don't think it's done, Natalie. Don't Good give to hear up. It. Don't quit. And th- don't quit. Go list- to the north <laughs> north slopes. I'm gonna be up north tomorrow, so I can do some some searching up there. And yeah. for those people listening to this, if you haven't heard episode one, definitely mm-hmm. give that a listen once you're through this episode. And mm-hmm. sounds like we may have a couple weeks left. I think so. I'm not I'm not going to say for sure because every region is different based on their growing season, the moisture. There's a lot of factors. Again, you gotta go back to the last episode to kind of um, get an idea. But typically, the south-facing slopes warm up first with the sun, and you get the first batch, and now we're kind of at the, the later in the season. So the north-facing slopes, lower areas that are cooler, the ground, it's all about ground temperature and when they pop. So um, those areas now are fair game. And I have to say, I didn't. I, I only got maybe a dozen or so this year, so it was a light yeah. year, but I went out with a good friend of mine who hasn't done any foraging ever, took her out for a first time, it was like after work on a Friday, and I brought her to my favorite spot. I was looking around. I didn't, I didn't see any. And then all of a sudden I hear a shout from her like 15 feet away from me. She's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Isn't this it? And I run over there and it was like, yes, this is it. She found a couple and we celebrated like yeah. we had just found a hundred. We were so pumped. Honestly, that feeling of seeing her find her first mushrooms and how excited she was. It was like, this is what it's all about. It does, and it never and gets old perfect. either. There were many, but they were perfect. Yes, that's so fun. She she explained to her how to cook them up and clean them and eat them, and she enjoyed them. You so. were probably just as excited so, as she I was. was. Yeah. I was. I so don't know. Great. I found this bouquet of mushrooms in one stump. It was There was nine giants all in one piece, and my brother was with, and I was like, oh, and we were just high-pitched squeals from two grown men, sort of grown men, whatever. But I mean, like we were so excited. We stared at it. We took videos of it. We looked at it. We took more pictures and we're like, I don't want to touch it. It's so beautiful. I don't want to ruin this. I want to keep it here, but we got to take it. We did eventually. But I mean, it's like we had never seen it before and we've done this for years and years. So 
Yeah. Anyway, I didn't hunt as much as I would like to because uh, fishing season is here. Fishing and is And I think that's what we're going to dive into today. I know you and I feel it's important that we want people to hopefully be entertained in this podcast, but also be um, educated a little bit or take, take things away from it that can help right now, things that are happening right now. So we're diving into fishing season. Yeah, today, right? yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll, we'll can focus a lot today on mainly bass and walleyes. I mean, sure. people have been fishing for panfish. We can talk about that a little bit for uh, a few months now, but I think those are the two that people are most excited about. And before we jump in, we gave our backgrounds a little bit on the first podcast, but for those listening, maybe first timers, Travis, how long have you been fishing? What got you interested in it? I don't know how to explain it. I can't. Um, I've tried. It's just this thing inside of me that I could fish seven days a week and it wouldn't be enough. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just could, I, I can't help myself. I just want to catch fish and, and learn about them. And I started when I could walk as far as I know. I remember fishing on my grandparents' dock. I remember fishing with my dad, my grandparents, uh, just as much as I possibly could and never getting enough. And my dad didn't know how to explain that. And, and so my babysitters used to take me to places and drop me off where I could fish from shore um, uh, eventually I got a driver's license and, and used my, um, lawn mowing money to buy my first boat. And that is what I took customers out because I became a fishing guide when I was 16. Um, it was my first year of guiding. And so I've, I've been a fishing guide for more than 20 years and I still have that same burning passion today. Uh, love fishing for everything. Muskies because of the challenge. They, they really just hooked me for a long period, but um, I really feel that <clears throat> I like to fish in a lot of places, lakes, rivers, variety of different species it makes me a w- more well-rounded angler and makes me better at figuring out how to catch certain fish. So I do fish for pretty much everything that we can target here. In do you Midwest. have a favorite? Um, depends on the day, whatever I'm fishing that day. I still love the the challenge of outsmarting a muskie, you know, I mean, there's that adrenaline rush that comes with it. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's a top water strike, that's mm-hmm. really exciting. Um, this time of the year, I mean, it changes throughout the season and that's kind of the fun of it too. It, it's that there's certain times of the year where I just really enjoy stuff. Like right now, the walleye fishing is just spectacular. The water is still fairly cool. We had a late spring. Typically when we have a cool late spring, it leads to better fishing. Um, because we get to target them when they're really aggressive after their spawn. So I know a lot of people that have that have been having really good success this year, and I've been seeing it as well. So uh, we can dive into walleyes, because that's what we're talking right now. And bass, you know, they're up on the beds, and they're aggressive too, so they're, they're mixed right in with a lot of the fish. So this time of the year, I always tell people, um, you know, we – you mentioned panfish too. The the amount of like this is probably the best time of the year to introduce somebody to fishing because of how aggressive everything is, and they all tend to be up shallow doing their thing, whether it's spawning or just that's where the bait fish are. And you can fish, you know, along those lines from shore right now this yes. time of year very well. And that's yes. I'm spending a lot of my time these days fishing from shore and out of a kayak. But you know, I, I say the same thing: bringing kids out, bringing new people. You don't need a boat right now. You right. can get pretty much anything from right on shore. That's the so. beauty of this time of the year. A uh, lot of fish are reachable from shore or from docks. And and actually, that's the better place to be fishing a lot of times. You see a lot of people in their boats casting to the docks. And <laughs> therefore, that means you could be standing on shore on a dock and exactly. catching those same exact fish. Exactly. What's your story, so, Natalie? So, Let's dig okay, into yeah, that. My yeah. story. So I have been fishing for just about a decade. So I've loved the outdoors my whole life, but really started fishing about a decade ago. I was going to share this later, but actually my introduction to fishing technically was walleye fishing. Yeah. Way up north in northern Minnesota. My family a few times went to this place called Nelson's Resort up on Crane Lake. Yeah. So way one. up north. And a couple of times we got fishing guides up there when I was a kid as a family. And we did the whole, uh, you know, jigging for walleye, caught a bunch of fish, drove up on, onto, you know, some island somewhere. And, and the guides kind of showed us how to clean them and, and how to cook them and had shore lunch. And so that was my introduction to fishing. I loved it. And as a side note, I also did get the family record for the biggest fish in those excursions. It was a, the numbers have slid a little bit over the years, but somewhere between, 
somewhere. Yeah. It always gets bigger it's, every it's, time. The the window is somewhere between a thirty and a thirty four inch. Not walleye. But okay. Pike, but Northern okay. Pike. Okay, okay. And it was unbelievable. And so my family jokes that like I was bit on that day. I had literally like a little kid's pole and it doubled nice. over and my family's like, what's happening over there? And I was yeah. like, dad, I, I think I have one. If you're, um, if you're doing it right, it should be up to 36 inches in a couple of years. Yeah. yeah well, it, it, it always was, gets yeah. bigger. Yeah. yeah. Every year sure. it grows a couple inches. Yeah. yeah. All fish so, tails get bigger over exactly, time. Exactly. Yeah. So um, did a little bit of fishing as a kid, but really started fishing about a decade ago. And that was with musky fishing. So I just kind of went for it right at the beginning, went for the biggest fish and, and got hooked on that. And I did that almost exclusively for about five years. And it wasn't until now about five years ago that I started targeting other species. And right now it's really probably bass and muskies that I do the most. Um, walleye is a, a territory that I have a lot to learn about. So I'm excited yeah. today to, to get some knowledge from you. Um, but yeah, I, I love bass as well and been doing it recreationally for a lot of years and do you had the opportunity to learn a lot. So you've traveled all over the country too, mm-hmm. and you've filmed fishing content, fishing shows, um, from, from like hidden places, right? Wh- what is it about going to those new areas for you that excites you? I mean, I know you spend a lot of time fishing from shore, mm-hmm. kind of hiking into these places. You fish from a kayak and you go into places that a lot of boats can't reach. What is it about that kind of fishing that drives you versus getting in a high powered boat and going cruising. The adventure and the unknown of it. And I I think partly it started with what was accessible to me as somebody that didn't own a boat. It was like, I want to get out. I want to catch fish. How am I going to do this? So it started with a lot of, you know, fishing from shore, fishing out of a kayak. And then in places like Florida and elsewhere, really like wading into some, you know, water back in the Everglades and stuff. um, and, And catching fish that way. So for me, I just, it started with that. What's accessible to me right now but the adventure of it is just so fun for me. I love going to places that, you know, aren't just somewhere that, you know, I know that somebody has fished or caught fish or places that I get brought to, you know, by somebody with a boat or something. And just that exploring to me, then when I catch fish, it feels even that much more gratifying when it's like, you know, you put in all that effort to get there. So, so that does it for me. I like that part of it too. I've never been one to, that I know of, ever go out with a fishing guide before. Mm Mm-hmm. I do, I guess, <clears throat> I do pay attention to the industry, um, watch what a lot of professionals are are doing. But to me, I love just looking at the options that are out there, the mm-hmm. lures, the places I can go. How can I make this work? Where can I go? How? Where are these fish? And I've just, my brain, and I can't explain why, but it just works in weird ways in that I remember certain things. Mm-hmm. I also used to keep a journal years ago. And I used to write down, you know, water temperature. That is so important. All kinds of different things that, you know, for muskies in particular, they're so patternable. And I've learned that almost all fish species are patternable. They do the same thing every, every part of the season, every year. Mm -hmm. So if you figure it out, you can go back. I mean, like I've got notes even built into my Lorenz graph now because I can drop a waypoint and give it a name. I can put notes. You can even say, you know, I caught them on a Rapalajigan wrap. 82 degree water, you know, this time of the year, it doesn't, it doesn't always correlate to the date. It's Mm -hmm. the season and what's happening in the water, but those fish go through the same habits, patterns, seasonal changes every single year. So once you get it dialed in, you can really repeat those again and again and and have a season full of success. And and I've learned that lakes and rivers kind of have their peaks. Um, You know, as a, as a fishing guide, my job was always to make sure that everyone's catching Fish. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, where's the best bite? And I'll say, well, typically here, here, and here. And there's, this is why, based on 20 years of analytics, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, it's almost analytics at this point for me. And then when, you know, when we go for muskies too, I'm like, use this bait. Trust me, keep it on. And then yeah. musky anglers are always like, oh, there's a box full of 50 different or 100 different baits. Like, let's try this. I was like, nope. Yeah. Switching my, it every, my every analytics tell me that. They say, yeah. you put that on and keep it on. When that fish decides to bite, it's going to believe that that's food and it's going to try to eat it and you're going to catch it. Yeah. You know? So what you say about the journaling, I think is so important. It's something that I'm a big hypocrite because I always tell new anglers, like you have to, you have to journal. You have to say, you know, when you caught it, what the conditions were exactly where you were. And I'm really bad and I never really do that. And I think I could learn a lot, but I will say having filmed a lot from YouTube uh, it's really cool to see when you catch fish to be able to go back and look and see exactly what you did yeah. or on the flip side, if you lose a fish yep. to get to go back and watch that video and go, you know, you think in the time I did everything right. How did that fish get off? And you go back and watch the video. It's like, Oh, 
that's where I messed up. So you can definitely, fishing is fun. We like it as recreation, but if you really start picking apart what you're doing, where you're doing it and tracking it, it can definitely make you a much better angler very fast. Yeah. And that's cool that you've got it. You, it, you still have your journal. you just, mm-hmm. it's a video. It's different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's different. There's a lot exactly. of people that do that today too. And they chronicle their stuff on Instagram or wherever it might be. And they may not be putting down the water temperature, the lure they use, the depth, all that stuff, but maybe they remember it. Yeah. You know, exactly. that's, that's how my brain works. I can tell you stories from 30 years ago. I don't know why. I have no idea. My wife asks me all the time and I don't understand why I can remember certain things and I can't remember others, but that's just, that's just that's the way how God we know made you're me. Passionate. Yeah, exactly. You got the passion. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, okay. Let's talk walleyes a little bit. Sure. Opener was just a couple weeks ago now. Yeah. And really before we get into kind of how the fishing has been for you and what people can, can take from it. I want to just talk about Minnesota's love affair with walleyes because I feel like we love our mus- muskies. We've got great bass fishing, but there's definitely something about walleye. It is our state fish. Yep. Yeah. And I think that there's just something that Minnesotans really, really love about it. Is it just because we've got great walleye fishing or what's the mystique behind it? Uh, there's great walleye fishing all over the state. We have an excellent stocking program in Minnesota and it's a challenging fish to catch. So when you get one, it's kind of like you accomplish something and they taste so good. They do taste <laughs> they just good. taste so good. So you, you put all those together and it makes it just this iconic fish. Um, you know, bass are typically easier to catch. You can get them in a variety of locations throughout the entire season. Um, you can catch them on, you know, under a, under a tree, under a lily pad, from shore, on a dock. Whereas walleyes aren't usually that accessible. Uh, we'll talk about why they are now. But um, muskies, it's this... You know, it's this fish that almost becomes too hard to catch for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And so they give up. Whereas a walleye is challenging, but it's not impossible. You know, yeah. it doesn't feel impossible. Um, and it's just kind of, you know, they fight pretty good. You know, they're not a mm-hmm. bass. They're not a muskie, but they'll put up a good tussle. And uh, northern are just pain in the butts mm-hmm. to most people. And there's too many bones well, for them to clean. Teeth. So, yeah, exactly. So walleye is just kind of this perfect creature down there that... We love and we've invested in and we have a great, great uh, fishery. And a lot of that goes out to um, the stocking program. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many lakes that people don't even realize that there, there wouldn't be walleyes for them to catch if it wasn't Minnesota stocking program. Wow. And when you fish for them, are you keeping many or are you typically catch and release? I, I keep um, only what I plan to eat right away. I've not, other than freezing a, a filet of walleyes for my grandma as a gift that I knew I wasn't going to see within five days, I have not frozen a fish in, I want to say, 30 years. I don't remember the last time I froze a fish. I don't keep them if I'm not going to eat them. I know that I'm a snooty fisherman and I, you know, not everybody um, has that luxury, but I do have the luxury of living in a place that there's fish nearby and I like to go out with my kids and catch just what we're going to eat. No more, no less. Hopefully we catch a meal. Um, I do like to share with people once in a while. So we'll have friends over for a fish fry and I like to cook for them. But um, I only, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I kept a limit Mm -hmm. because in Minnesota, six walleyes is a limit. My family um, would right now, my kids, the little meat eaters, they, they are, Oh, nice 17-inch walleye. That's a big chunk of meat. It's not like I'm going to put eight steaks on the grill for my kids. I mean, they're only going to eat just a part of it. So right now, four walleyes feeds my entire family. So that would be the max that I would keep. Uh, For fishing opener, we kept seven amongst my dad, all my kids, and I out there. Um, And that's, that's a lot. But the other night, we were out, and I think we caught over 30 walleyes, and I kept three. Wow based on the size of the fish and the fillets, and I knew what I needed. Most of my fish always go back, um, you know, and I do take other people fishing, and sometimes they'll say, I'd love a meal, and they, I say, well, what do you think would be a meal for them? I don't like to keep too much. I just think I respect the resource, and I know what it takes to have a good resource out there for others to catch, so I don't want to abuse that. Um, and so I think that's a long-winded answer to your question, but I just, I love fresh fish and I love going out and catching them and cooking them right away when they're the best. 
Well, along these lines, while we're talking about keeping them and eating them, we'll talk about catching them in a minute. But um, I, a couple of days ago on Instagram, reached out uh, to people and asked for questions for today's show about uh, spring bass and walleye fishing. And a couple people asked, when keeping walleyes, what is the perfect size? Well, it's a that's a pretty much a standard rule of thumb. Most people would say between 14 and 20 inches is a good size to keep. That's that's just a, like a perfect walleye fillet. Anything smaller than that, most people will say let it grow, let it go so it can grow. Anything larger than 20 inches, most people are going to say that's your future. You want to put that back in so that they reproduce. Your your females between 20 and 20 six up to like 28 inches are your most fertile fish. So you want those to remain in the system so that they can keep the population strong for years to come. But I'll be honest with you. Um, that's, that's just something that a lot of people have believed to be the case. And it's true in lakes that walleyes actually reproduce in Minnesota and a lot of other lakes around the Midwest and around the country, these stocked walleyes that are put in there. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with, DNR biologists before. I went out there, watched them pull nets, talked to them, tried to understand what's going on here. They do a lot of studying. And I asked questions like, how often do you find that these stocked walleyes are naturally reproducing on their own? And there are some lakes where they say almost zero. Wow. So then I ask, well, is it better to keep four mm-hmm. 16-inch walleyes or one 22 inch walleye because now that 22 incher that everyone thought is going to reproduce and keep your population strong is no longer doing what you think it's going to do. So then therefore that argument is no longer there. And instead of taking one fish out of the lake, I took four. So, um, you know, I, I think taste wise, most people would say 14 to 20 inches is kind of ideal. You know, an 18 inch walleye, 17 inch walleye is just kind of like you see it and people have a hard time letting it go because that's just perfect. But, um, it's, I think, I think it's a good question for people to ask themselves when they're on their favorite body of water. And if they understand the ecosystem, the biology, all the things happening under the water and say, Hey, I might be doing this like more justice if I keep one, a little bit bigger fish. Cause I know a 23 inch walleye is going to feed my wife and I, you know, if it's, if they're feeding just two people versus keeping multiple fish that aren't going to reproduce. Yeah. Very good thing to think about. Yeah. I have to ask, this might be a tough one because it's a little bit apples to oranges, but ice fishing or open water for walleyes, which do you like better? That's the beauty of it, Natalie. We don't have to choose. We don't have to choose. I think that in in this state, the seasons are so great. Mm -hmm. In our area of the Midwest, I go through this like, okay, I've been, I've been fishing walleyes now for the last week and a half since opener. Um, I'll probably really keep after them for a couple more weeks. And then all of a sudden bass fishing just really gets me going. I love when they school up and then all of a sudden musky season comes and then fall. And it's just like, you never really get sick of anything and you get to go to the next one. If I had to choose, I mean, I, I love being on the boat. I just love everything about being on the boat. Uh, I think open water is probably my favorite, but there's something cool about Catching them through the ice too. It is cool. You know, we we spend the night in the ice shack now with my kids, and the rattle reel goes, and I get to watch them pull them up too. And they all have their perks. But if I could only choose one, I would do open water. How about yeah. you? Well, I'm similar to you. My fishing is very cyclical, and in the winter is when I really would do my walleye fishing. And I typically try to do like the early season up north. Yeah. You know, get on yeah. Red Lake, catch some walleyes, and yeah. I love that. I get out a handful of times for walleyes in the winter. And then this time of year, I'm definitely focusing on bass fishing. But after today, I might I might need to do some more walleye fishing once I, I know a little bit more. I'm getting excited yeah. about it, just seeing the, the light in your eyes about it. So, But typically this time of year, I'm doing bass. And then it's hard for me to not target muskies when it's muskie season. Definitely into the fall, once it's you know September and on later, it's pretty much just muskies for me. So yep. just love getting my heart broken, you know. <laughs> love getting skunked. I just yeah. can't say no to it. And then so. just to hold that one. I've had so many people say, "Why do you spend Why? so much time out that you finally catch one <laughs> you and let then it you go. let it go?" I know. I don't know. That's what keeps sickness. it coming back. It's a sickness. It's a sickness. Yep. Yeah. So you've had a good year walleye fishing already. I would think. What's, I would what's your secret? Oh, uh, I don't have a secret. I. I really don't think that it's a secret. I mean, this time of the year, I, I'm not the only one catching them. I know that. I mean, if you go out and you try to catch them, this is a great time of the season. And from 
east to west, north to south across our state and the Midwest. I mean, like I said, it's a cool spring. So typically in a walleye's world, the ice leaves the lake. Then shortly after the water warms up into that low 40 degree range, a lot of those fish come in. And sometimes it's a day or two after the ice. It does not take long. They come in, they spawn. Then there's this period of they kind of recover. And then they just go on this feeding frenzy. And most other fish in the lake, so like, you know, walleyes can move deeper throughout the season. But early early on in the year, like we're in right now, the water's still cool. All the bait fish are up shallow. They're all feeding on the insects, the bugs, everything that's happening in the shallow water. Weeds are growing. And the walleyes are in there feeding too. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of our lakes are milfoil lakes uh, around, you know, the the invasive species that have taken over, even up into northern parts of the state too. And those weeds that start growing first attract life and everything else follows. So, uh, you know, there there are some major walleye factories in our area, Mille Lacs, Leech Lake, Red Lake. You know, a lot of those don't fish the same way, but a natural lake in Minnesota has a lot of weeds and a lot of those fish are up shallow right now. And they're very aggressive. Um, I like to use baits. Um, you know, if you ask my secret, um, I keep things simple. Generally, for almost all species of fish, I believe that most baits that are, are out there will catch fish if you know how to present them. Um, I focus on understanding the fish. I want to know where they are and why they're where they are. And then I can catch them in a variety of different ways. So... Um, in this shallow water that they are in right now, a jig, a very simple jig, leadhead jig or tungsten, whatever it might be, with a minnow is the best way to do it, in my opinion. It's been that way for decades. It will be that way for decades. Um, it just catches a variety of fish. So I'll catch walleye on one cast. The next cast might be a bass. Next cast might hook into a muskie. Next one could be a crappie. And, you know, and, and that's kind of the fun of it, too. But... Um, the bigger the minnow helps to keep the smaller fish away when you're fishing in the weeds. With that being said, you don't have to use live bait. I, I like catching them on rapalas. I do very, very well on rapalas in the shallow water. You can cast the rapala shad rap is probably without question the best crankbait for walleyes that has ever been made. There's a lot of other lures that have been built, designed, trying to mimic that or replicate what that lure does, but it dives in just the right depth for where these fish are. Right now, throughout most of the Midwest, you can catch walleyes in under 10 feet of water. Um, I wouldn't, I won't fish deeper than 10 feet of water for a couple weeks, at least. Um, and that's because I feel like, yeah, there might be some fish in deeper water, but the ones that I want to catch are the ones up shallow. The shallower the fish are, doesn't matter what you're fishing for, tend to be the most aggressive fish. They almost always come up shallow to feed. And so, therefore, why would I fish for the lazy ones out in deep water when I can go for the aggressive ones mm-hmm. in shallow water? So I fish fast, and I use tactics like the, the shad wrap that yeah. cover a lot of water really quickly. And when you find them, you know, the technology now today, obviously um, – changes a lot you know with i've got an active target on the Mm -hmm. front of my boat and everyone's always like oh look at them they're right up there i've had the privilege of of being (laughs) seeing that with you and have you point out the fish to me and it's it's very cool it's it should be illegal (laughs) if i'm being honest (laughs) borderline video game fishing it is totally because um i've really always tried to understand fish behavior in all of my years of chasing what better way to do it and now i can see them out there without having because in the past your 2d sonar the you know the graphs underneath your boat either on your trolling motor in the front or on the back you had to drive over the top of them even if it's a kayak you still had to drive or paddle over the top of them and what you don't realize what i didn't realize with this technology on the front is you know i can look out 100 feet in front of the boat by the time I get like 40, 50 feet away from the fish as I'm moving towards them, they're already swimming away from me. They're already going to hide. So fish behavior is interesting and in how how they can sense the boat, how they know where you're at, um, and how our noises, yeah. you know, hitting the boat, whatever it might be, even the propeller. They come up and they check out the propeller. They're 
they're, they're curious. What is that noise? What's going on? So therefore, by the time the boat drove over the top of them, we already, the half they of them are already gone. Yeah. You know, they're outside of your cone angle that you would actually read them. So the technology has really opened my eyes to what is happening below the surface. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you've been fishing for decades. So yeah. well before you were using probably any kind of technology, certainly not what we have today. Has yeah. there been anything other than how the fish actually relate to your boat, but has there been anything that maybe you were certain about specifically with walleyes that you know, once you have modern technology, you were completely wrong about or something that blew your mind about what they do? Well, yeah. I mean, just that back to that active target, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where general rule of thumb is like, okay, walleyes are going to slide up on top of a reef at sunset and feed on a rock pile, mm-hmm. you know, so or a lot of walleye anglers will, will position themselves um, on these spots and wait for the fish to come to them. And a lot of the the old wisdom or even what I thought was that the walleyes are going to be in deeper water and they're going to come up on top to feed. Well, as I'm sitting there watching this, you know, as I'm scanning around to see where the fish are, they're swimming out of the shallow waters coming out. They're coming out of the weeds to feed out in, in the open versus coming out of deep water and sliding up. They're also suspended. They're also five, six feet off the bottom in times when you wouldn't think they would be. Or the bugs are are rising, you know, at evening time. It's amazing how the whole lake kind of wakes up and I'll just be sitting there and I'm looking a hundred feet out into the middle of nowhere and all these fish that I thought were supposed to be coming to me, come to me, you know, I'm waiting, I'm on the yeah. spot. This is the spot on the spot. And they're just roaming out in the middle of nowhere muskies are chasing yeah. huge schools of panfish, uh, crappies and stuff. And bass are way out there and walleyes too. And you can catch them on lures that you ne- you would never have made a yeah. cast out into the middle of nowhere before. But now that you see them out there, um, it just changes it. But I think the biggest thing is they don't always come from where I thought they mm-hmm. were. You know, they're, they're living up in those shallow weeds during the middle of the day. And then they come out into those different open areas to feed and hunt down their food. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're we're dealing with live animals. So I think sometimes with fishing, fishermen, we get so set in our ways. We know exactly what the fish are going to do. We've seen it before, you know, and we can get too stuck in our ways that we don't switch things up. And you got to remember that we don't always know what they're doing. And even if there are patterns, they're still fish and they might do exactly what we don't That's expect. the fun of it. I think that's ex- especially true for yeah. muskies. Yeah, that's that's why they, I mean, everyone always says, that's why they call it fishing, yeah. <laughs> you know, not catching. But it really is the fun behind it. And that's why I just love the challenge. It, for me, obviously, holding the fish is great and everything, but it's like, what did it take mm-hmm. to make that happen, to get that fish to bite? And then can I do it again and again yeah. and again? And now it's, can I teach somebody else how to do it? And can they do it again? And so that's what's kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, how about for people listening? What might be the biggest mistake that you see people making springtime or this type of, this time of year when walleye fishing? Something uh, to avoid. That's a really good uh, question. You just touched on one of them, which is doing this, going back same to the thing same over thing. And over. Yeah, don't fish in your in your dreams all the time or your memories. I think boat control throughout the year is is the number one reason that people don't catch more fish. Um, <clears throat> this time of the year, a lot of our lakes and rivers are at their clearest. Okay, so the water's probably still chilly in the 60s right now statewide. Um, you know, here in the metro where I've been fishing, it got as warm as 67 on the surface, which is not that warm for this time of the year. Um, after late Memorial Day, usually you're in the 70s, but... Anyway, the water's clear this time of the year. As it warms up, it's going to get dirtier, and then the visibility is going to go down, and then a lot of your movements with your boat aren't going to hurt your chances as much as they will right now. So these fish, what did I say? I'm not fishing any deeper than 10 feet of water. And in crystal clear water, they're driving over the fish. They're, they're driving right over the top of them. They're scaring them away, and then they throw toss out an anchor or whatever it might be. They scare them even further away, yeah. and then they sit there, and they wonder why they're not catching them. So boat control to me is the most important reason why people do and do not catch more fish. Um, so my, my advice to people all the time is to know ahead of time where you think those, where do you think they're going to be and why? And then as you approach a spot, don't just drive over the top of them, fish your way to them. If you think they're going to be 
in off the tip of this little point, I mean, most people have a graph in their boat now that has a sonar with a map and it shows the contours of the lake. If you want to fish that point, instead of driving over the top of them and scaring them away, start downwind of them. So that's what I always do. I always start downwind and I slowly, with my trolling motor, move closer to them fishing ahead of the boat. The reason I go into the wind is because if I get a bite, I can take my foot off the trolling motor Mm -hmm. and I let the boat drift backwards a little bit, then I can put it on spot lock. If it was the other way around and I'm drifting with the wind, now I catch a fish in front of where my boat's drifting. Now the trolling motor actually spins around on spot lock to hold me in place and it blows this huge wave of water Mm -hmm. and it scares them away again. So that's why boat control is so important. If you come at them quietly you can catch a whole bunch of fish without scaring any of them. And that's why I think probably the, the biggest uh, biggest mistake that I, I see people make over and over and over again. And so that comes with trusting your gut a little mm-hmm. bit about where you're going to go and fish and why, and then approaching it in a way that isn't going to scare everything out. Very helpful. We got to talk about bass a little bit. Now. Yeah, let's. Have you been fishing for bass yet at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah they're mixed. How have you been doing? Okay. Uh, pretty good. I, I feel like you know this. The spawn is happening right mm-hmm. now. It's it's delayed. It's delayed. Yeah. But a lot of those fish come up shallow, and they're in the same areas that all the bait fish are that I'm fishing right now. The early spring weed growth attracts everything, and then the bass go in and do their their spawning thing. Some days they're just like crazy thick up shallow. And some days I'm not sure why they're not there and what's changed. So it's, it's kind of in a weird time period, but I think we're stabilized now to the point where they're going to be finishing up their spawn and then going gangbusters here. Yeah. yeah. This is one of my favorite things to do this time of year, other than of course the actual fishing part of it, but yeah. just kayaking long, you could do it in a boat too. And just looking, looking at yeah. the fish. It's really incredible. I actually, I didn't see a bass bed until probably five years ago, or maybe if I did, I didn't know what I was looking at, but it blew my mind thinking like, I'm sorry, the fish actually make this little circle thing. This is actually something that it does. Um, But now one of my favorite things is just to kind of paddle around quietly on my kayak, check it out, kind of do exactly what you're telling uh, everyone not to do, but get a really nice up close look. Not necessarily, you're not going to cast right then, but just to see how yeah, they're you're behaving. Not, just you're kind not of fishing. You're just, exactly. You're, you're observing. Yeah. And, and seeing what they're doing and uh, you know, for people that are brand new to bass fishing this time of year, primarily a lot of the times when you're catching these fish, they're not necessarily feeding. They are protecting their beds from Correct. intruders. Yep. So it, it's cool to watch these bass, you know, guarding the fry this time of year. Um, and yeah, anything comes anywhere near their, their bed, they're going to, they're going to get rid of it. So yeah. I've learned a lot by just kind of watching. Yeah. If you, if you cast it something in there, they're going to suck it in. And mm-hmm. then if you don't set the hook right away, you'll watch them swim about a foot outside of their bed and go, and they spit it back out because they're just keeping everything clear. This is my space. I, you know, I admire them for that. And it's also controversial in some ways, yeah. you know, a lot of tournaments that allow, you know, tournaments over uh, the spawn season, you know, should those tournaments be allowed to go out and, and target them, uh, you know, during the spawn, which is what we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those fish are, are aggressive because like we just said, they're protecting their nest. They're not exactly feeding. So, but it is cool to see. And on top of, on top of what you described, where you like to watch them, I, you know, I'm fascinated by it too. One other thing I tell people to do a lot this time of the year when the water is clear before the water warms up and there's algae and all that other stuff that um, cause it to turn different colors is you can really learn a lot about your lake, river, stream, whatever it is that you fish by just taking that time, put the rod down, stand in the front of your boat, drive with the trolling mm-hmm. motor and just put on polarized glasses. See what you see. You can mark spots like, Ooh, there's a tree under the water there. Oh, there's some rocks right there. Oh, there's an old tire. You know, one of my best musky spots is a tire for some reason that's in the lake that I can't quite reach. So I, I haven't cleaned it out yet, but there's always a musky sitting on it. Is it the same one? The, the same musky? Sa- yeah. Or is it not? I can't give you any more information okay. besides that. I've asked too much. I've asked <laughs> too much. You know too much already. <laughs> I'm going to be followed out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, there's, there's a, you know, a lot of stuff that you can find under the water right now that you won't be able to see later on 
that will be structure that holds fish. So I always tell people, when you go to a new lake, if you have the opportunity, one thing I like to do is if somebody's with me, have someone stand on the front of the boat, have one person driving, put it in neutral, uh, or put it in gear, you know, just go slowly, trim all the way up, and then just drive around and look and see what you can see. You're going to see everything. You, you're going to scare them as well. But that's not the point. The point is you're trying to learn what's going on in that lake at that time. And then you can come back later, you know, whether it's a bunch of bass in an area, whether you like you could see walleyes a lot of times in the shallow water this time of the year because they're up shallow. And then you'd be like, holy cow, GPS waypoint, Mm -hmm. come back later and keep going. And you're going to learn a lot about the lake. And that doesn't change throughout the year. Those rocks aren't going anywhere. Those rocks are going to be hot spots for bass or muskies later on in the season, too. Yeah. Well, a lot of people on Instagram, when we asked for uh, listener questions, asked about favorite lures. We talked about them for walleye. For yeah. bass, this time of year. What do you got? I can tell mine. But yeah, do you yeah, get... yeah, do it. So, I mean, I like a Senko yeah. if you're fishing up shallow. Yep. Um, that That's probably my go-to or just like an artificial worm. Wacky rig, just a nice, like, slow, gentle fall on it. Um, but I I also, people make fun of me a lot for how much I fish. Like, if I could have one bait for bass. Ribbit. Ribbit. Well, okay. Two. Yes. Topwater for sure. I haven't yeah. started topwater yet yeah. this year, though. But yeah. I I just love spinner baits. Yeah. I love a white spinner bait. And actually, I'm partial to it. Usually, I start a little bit later in the year. But um, I caught my biggest bass of my life. Basically, right now. It was late May. Two years ago, I should I should show you a picture of this. It, it was seven pounds. Come and it on, was, it was it was seven pounds. It Brandon, was. Are you buying it? I I think I'm buying it. I'm buying it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a picture of it. So I, I mean, it's probably easy to prove. Yeah, I can so pull one up. I'm buying but it. It was it was right around this time of year. I think water temps were like. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, by the way. please I do. Believe you. Please I do. Believe you. It was water temps were like upper 60s, and I was having the worst day. I was fishing up shallow, couldn't get anything to bite. I was like. Several hours in, and I was having a lovely day. Why was it day. such a bad day, though? I don't know. I couldn't get anything to eat. It was really windy. It was cold. It was just kind of like, eh, nothing was really going my way. I caught a few small fish, and I was thinking, again, I was having a pleasant day. It's always nice to be on the water, but the fish gods weren't in my favor, and I was thinking about calling it quits, and I was like, let me just make one little, one more drift, just kind of out a little bit deeper. I was in probably like 12 feet of water, casting, casting, casting. Storm was coming in, and all of a sudden, I hooked up, Boom. and it was like, is this, this can't be a bass. Is this a muskie? Cause there are, there are muskies on this lake and drilling it. It was crazy fight. Finally got a glimpse of it. And I've caught, I've been lucky enough to catch, you know, many good bass, you know, five pounders and stuff. When I saw the face on this fish, I, I about lost it. I gasped. I was shaking. Like I've <laughs> never shook for a bass in my entire life. And honestly, like reaching down, grabbing it. It was like, I've never, this is a monster. This is from outside this world. Okay, let me pull up this photo. We are going to do a live fact check of my bass. What do you think? You can just describe it. Describe it. Just Uh, girthy. You you can't even see. My hands. So one, your hand, you could, like its mouth, you could probably almost fit your head in it. Yeah. That's awesome. But you can't see your other hand because the belly sinks around it. That's when you know you got something real. Exactly. When you can't see your other hand because it's got so I mean, I have pretty little hands, but. But either way, I mean, you can tell it's just, well done. But that'll go to show you. It's really big, right? Yeah, good for you. That'll go to show you when you're doing something all day long and it's not working out for you, even if you're doing everything right by the book. So Do something my, different. Put my on favorite, a white spinner bait. Yeah, there you go. Put on go a white deeper. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite days are the days when I'm not catching them because then yeah. I have to do something different. And then when you do something different, you you learn a lot. And so that's a challenge that I make to people all the time that they do the same. They go out like every, every time they go fish, they go to the same lake. They go bass fishing the same thing. I'm like, maybe try fishing a different lake or try fishing a different species because then you're going to learn something about that species. That's going to apply to what you, you know, like you're more well-rounded angler to force yourself to try to figure out certain things. That's why tournament anglers have really revolutionized our, our fishing world and the lures we use because they're forced to catch a fish uh, at times and in conditions mm-hmm. that most people would say, I'm going to go home. But they have to because there's money on the line and sometimes it's their livelihood. So they're like, what can I do to get you to bite? They keep mixing things up and all of a sudden, boom, 
exactly. they got it. And they're like, this is something that's never been done before. Yep. And that's how, that's how we continue to evolve in the fishing world. That's how a lot of the technology that we have at our, our hands right now is, has come about is because you do what you have to do to get them to bite. And then it just the rest of us that go out for fun, get to use it and be like, oh, cool. Yeah. And so, you know, I used to work on major league fishing as a commentator and, yeah. uh, and those tournaments, there would be, you know, 40 anglers out on a single lake for a day or a few, you know, set five days in a row. And you would see 40 professional angler, anglers doing 40 different things in yeah. different parts of the lake and most of them catching fish. So I always took that as, you know, somebody that, you know, is newer into the bass fishing world as it made me feel good knowing that, you know, when you get out there, sometimes you can get so in your head and think, you know, oh, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing, but you can catch fish a lot of different a ways. A lot of different ways. I, I Going back to your question that started this latest rant. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but what lures? What was, like, what's a favorite? Yeah. Um, I have so many, but lately, Jigs. the a jig worm mm-hmm. or, you know, the same Senko that you were talking about. There's so many different ways that you can rig it and use it. And it you can use it from ice out till ice on and catch bass with it. It is so versatile. And my favorite way of rigging it is, is just a Ned rig. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not familiar with the Ned rig, it's essentially just a small round jig head and you just thread a worm on and it can be a Senko. It can be any variety of worms, but you can fish it in a foot of water in 40 feet of water and it catches them all year long. And you can rig it wacky style, which mm-hmm. is just threading the hook right through the center of it. Um, you know, there's so many different ways of using it, but it's just, it just catches them. Yeah. It just catches them. And no matter the time of year, definitely now, if it's one of those colder, windier days, I love putting on, you know, like a jerk bait, something moving and getting out a little deeper. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. Or spinner bait. I mean, yeah. jerk, you know, crank bait. Clearly. I, there's, yeah. yeah. There's so many different ones that, uh, it makes it fun. And then, you know, when there's that calm, beautiful morning, you can put a top water on mm-hmm. and watch them come up and explode. That's Do you think an we're there adrenaline yet? rush. So, no, somebody I, else asked that if we're there. I mean, we're cl- uh, I wouldn't yet. I mean, okay. there's, there's better. Yes. You'll, you'll be able to catch one on a frog if you throw it up shallow that you will get one, but it's not going to be probably your most, um, uh, it's not going to bring the best results this time. There's a lot of other ways to catch them that are going to be more effective. I typically wait towards, um, well after the spawn, um, either fish are up shallow, not protecting beds, but they're up feeding, you know, in pads, lily pads or real thick muck, um, or suspended chasing fish over open water. Then, you know, the top water bite comes into play and then it's really, really good later in the season. September, October is like frog season for bass. And you said we're, we're like mid sixties or so right now. So yeah. bass will still be spawning for usually they say like, you know, 55 to 70. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, it's interesting. So but the only bat, some of the bass, some yeah. will be some are up shallow, some and some are, are going to be deep. Some are deep. women are going to be. Yeah, and what I've know? learned that you know, I like I said, I'm always trying to understand fish because it just helps me really be a better fisherman for whoever I'm taking out or for myself. But um, you know, I have a camera that I bring with in the boat, and there's times where I will drive over stuff in the water that's too deep for my eyes to see. And I'm, and I want to know what in the world is down there. What are they doing? I'm amazed at how fish, you know, are doing things that we thought, no, that's not possible. So for instance, bluegills, you know, people, a lot of times they think, oh, the bluegills and crappies. And this is, you know, as soon as the ice goes out, everyone's like, oh, they're coming up to spawn. They're coming up to spawn. No, they're not. They're coming up to the warm water because that's where the bugs and that's where life is happening and that's where they're feeding after the ice goes out. Those muddy bays, that's where they just come cruising in there and they feed and they hang out for a few weeks. But they don't spawn in mud. They need hard bottom. If you see a bluegill spawning bed, if you see a crappie's bed, it's almost always in sand and gravel, not in those muddy, shallow, weedy bays they go in a little bit deeper water and typically in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Dakotas, you know, Memorial Day is kind of prime time for the bluegill and crappie spawn. This year being late, you know, we're looking at the next couple of weeks, there's going to be fish that are spawning. I have seen them on beds in 25 feet of water spawning wow. in July and August. Wow. So when everyone thinks, oh yeah, they're, you know, the spawn is done. They, they will continue throughout the summer in different areas. And I drop a camera down and I, I can, now with my side imaging, you can see those beds 
as you're driving by. Like there's a bunch of spawning beds out there in 20 feet of water. Drop a camera on it in July, and it'll be covered in big old bull male bluegills that are protecting the beds. And I've seen it into August even. So, um, you know, when people thought, ah, oh, they go up in shallow and then they yeah. spawn and then they're done, not necessarily. It, it's interesting how that applies. And with the clear water that we've gotten, a lot of lakes, zebra mussels have really been a factor uh, across the country. Uh, the water has really cleared up. And sometimes that sunlight penetration, it just changes their overall behavior. I know a lot of guys that are bed fishing for bass. That's what the term is, you know, fishing beds. And those bass are in 15 feet of water on beds, 10 feet of water. In the past, it used to be two, three, four feet of water. It's where they, you know, most people would think that they would be. But the lakes are evolving. Fish are, are their patterns are changing a little bit because of it. Something I want to circle back to, we mentioned a little bit ago, kind of the people have mixed feelings about bed fishing while we're talking about it. But I think, you know, something to keep in mind for sure that's never a bad thing to throw a reminder out is really fish care this time of year or really any time of year. Fact of the matter is if you are fishing for really anything this time of year, there's a good chance that you might be catching a fish on a bed. So no matter what, you know, it's always a great reminder to only keep, you know, a fish out of the water as long as you can hold your breath, take good care of it, get it back into the water as quick as you can. We all love taking a nice photo of a fish these days, uh, which is great for memories. Um, But, you know, get them back as quickly as you can. And you typically, I mean, I've seen it with bass. You release them and they swim right back to their bed. So bass are hardy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you see these tournaments on these lakes and they yeah. put them in their live well all day. And oh, then, I know. You know, they release them and a lot of them live. Most of them live. Sometimes, unfortunately, they don't. But you couldn't do that with a walleye. <laughs> you know, you put them in the live well and if it's really cool water, you can keep them for a while and then you could probably release them. But I always tell people if, if you're out for fun, you know, um, if you're not going to eat it, don't put it in the live well. I guess that's, that's just my opinion and I don't, I'm not trying to tell people what to do, but if you want the fish to survive, give them the best chance and that would be to release them right away. There are some, uh, there's some truth to bass having this, um, ability to let, uh, like a pheromone off after Mm -hmm. they've been caught that if they're, if they're in deeper water and they're schooled up, uh, people that are pre-fishing for a tournament or in a tournament or whatever, they don't want to release a bass that could go down and scare the rest of the bass in the school. Mm. So they put them in the live well and then they prevent that fish from going and scaring the rest of the fish in the school. And I've seen it happen plenty of times where I've let one go and I can, you know, see a school of bass there and now they're, that one goes back and swims down and then they're gone. They, they leave. But I know that the fish that went and scared them is going to be alive and well yeah. and healthy. Yeah. So it's okay. Now I got to go find a new spot to fish. Yeah. And that's, that's a know, good way to look at it. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of times bass fishermen or anglers, I should say, will will box them, <laughs> they call mm-hmm. them box them, yeah. you know, and um, you know, if you put them back, the sooner, the better. Sounds good. Yeah. Should we get to some uh, listener questions? Yeah. So as I said, we reached out on Instagram Definitely follow us, Do North Outdoors TV, and you can send messages there. Um, we definitely want to include everybody in our in our episodes and really answer the questions and talk about the things that you all listening want to hear about. So a lot of the stuff we've covered, a lot of people are talking about what baits and stuff to sure. to fish for this time of year, or fish with. Um, one question I can't find right now, but I, I read it earlier today. Somebody asked, they're new to Minnesota and want to figure out how to find lakes to fish on. And we could probably both will have different answers to this because, you know, there's the lakes that everyone, you know, talks about for, you know, might talk about, you know, Malax or these well-known lakes, but there's so many places to fish that have really good fish and you can have really good luck on. I think for me, I usually start really just looking at a map and that's kind of how I go. For me, fishing out of a kayak, I'm usually looking for a smaller lake. So I'll just mm-hmm. look at lakes that are in, you know, my area maybe look like the right amount of size or, you know, that I think that I can shore fish from. And then I hop on the DNR website, see what fish are in the lake. It'll kind of tell you how many, and I don't, I don't know how accurate that is, but it'll say, you know, if it's. The DNR lake finder, if you type mm-hmm. in DNR lake finder, okay. there's a very popular page on their website that brings you to a search function within their site. And let's say you type in uh, Clearwater Lake, Annandale. 
because um, there's you know dozens of Clearwater lakes in Minnesota, but it breaks it down lake by lake, and on that page, it gives you all of their stocking, their netting, all of the data that they have. So you can see, based on their most recent net catch results, um, the population of certain fish in the lake. And if there's a lot of them in the, like bluegill, for instance, if they, mm-hmm. they, they go by inches and they say um, like 52 in the 7 to 9 inch range and then 3 in the 9 to 11 inch range, they break it down. So you can tell the age, the size of, of each fish species in the lake. And they do that for all species. So that's a really helpful tool. I think also, um, you know, advice that I give people because I take a lot of first timers or people that are new to the area when I'm taking fishing, uh, if it's a large lake, let's say I spend a lot of time on Lake Minnetonka and Lake Minnetonka is like 30 lakes Mm -hmm. in itself, you know, 30 lakes. And I'd say, don't try to learn Lake Minnetonka Mm -hmm. and, you know, just take a bay and just spend some time on it. And then after you get comfortable there and you learn a few things, then try to take what you've learned and apply them to other places. So if it's a part of the state that has a, a few lakes close to home and there's a variety of fish in it, um, you're going to learn a lot about that lake if you invest some time into it over the course of the season. I mean, there's certain times of the year when fish tend to be most active on some of those lakes and those patterns will play itself out like we talked about mm. earlier again and again for years to come. But until you spend the time out there, you're not going to know what those patterns are. Um, I don't think going and fishing a hundred different lakes in a hundred different days is probably yeah. going to make you a better angler until you're confident in what you're doing. Confidence is so, so critical. I mean, like most people don't just go out and just throw a, a worm under a bobber anymore. Like mm-hmm. the good old days that I remember <laughs> and see what swims by. I mean, yeah. it's so much, it's so technical now. Um, but I think that just just investing time into one lake, gaining confidence, then going to the next place will help most people become better anglers. That's good advice. Can I tell a Lake Minnetonka story now Please. that you brought it up? Yeah. This is just happened literally yesterday. I have friends visiting from out of town. It's taking them out to a restaurant in Lake Minnetonka. And they're like, yes, yeah, Lake Minnetonka. I, I've walked around that before. And I was like, I don't. <laughs> I know you're pretty fit, but I don't think it's the same lake. They're like, no, sure. yes, yes, it was. And we got there, and they're like, yes, yes, I've walked around. And I was like, oh no, this is one little bay. And yes. I showed them a map, and they were like, oh. <laughs> but anyway, you're very right. It's uh, multiple lakes in one. It's awesome too, and it's one of those lakes where people that fish a lot say, I'm not going out there. It's too much. Too many boats, whatever. And the reality is the fish live there. That's all they know. Yeah. So it doesn't change for me. It's never changed. Even a busy Saturday, I'll still go out mm-hmm. and fish. Um, sometimes I people drive too close. I don't like that. Um, but I, it doesn't affect the fishing because they're just used to be driven over, over and over and over and over again. And they'll still eat because they got to eat. Yeah, exactly. Um, so looking at some more questions that you all submitted, a lot of them we've talked about, you know, what, what baits to use are... are fish still spawning in Minnesota and, and things like that. Uh, here's a fun random one. Favorite campfire song. We've moved on from fishing. What's your favorite campfire song? Fishing in the Dark. Can you hum that for us? Lazy in the Mood. No, I'm not going to sing that song. That's not one of my skills, unfortunately. No. I don't know if I have a favorite one. But literally the Come one that's, on. I know, the one that's coming to mind just because it just reminds me of you know, young people learning the guitar. I feel like everyone's always playing Wonderwall. Yeah. I like the dance. Garth Brooks, oh. the dance. Looking back on the memory. And then once you start singing it, then other people are on the fire. Because it's one of those songs that a lot of people yeah. know. And, um, yeah. Any good kind of, like, folky, bluegrassy type of music is good around a campfire. If somebody That's can the place play a guitar and just strum mm-hmm. over a fire, those are two things you got the fire, and then you've got just the the guitar strum. I mean, you could just sit there all night. I yes, just never I want agree. those nights to end. It's getting me excited for summer. Yeah. Someone asked, when's a recipe book coming out? I don't know if that's uh, for me or for Do North, but maybe someday we're going to have a Do North Outdoors recipe book. Will you contribute? Yeah, I'll just put in uh, butter. Deep, deep fried <laughs> yeah, morels in butter and walleyes in uh, grease. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I, okay, you go back to here. your shore lunch, mm-hmm. though. That first time up yeah. north. Oh, I've got a secret. Have you ever had 
a better meal of fish in your life no. than that first day on the island? Yeah, no, never. It's yeah. unbelievable. And actually, the, the way that they cooked the walleye was, if I have the propor- proportions right, and this is going back a couple decades, but half flour, and I think with some seasonings, and half pancake batter. Sure. So have you buy, have you done that before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I thought it was a special secret. Well, Apparently I'll, Travis says that everyone knows no, that. No, it's not. It's there's different kinds of breading. Um one thing that I love it. It, it yeah. gives it a nice like extra, I don't know, soft little texture. A few years so that's ago. That's how I do it now. Yeah, a lot of people did short, you know, they dry it yeah. or they dip them in shore lunch and then throw them right in. Um so one thing that I've been doing lately, my dad um he cooked it up one time probably like 5 years ago. I was like, "Oh, that's it. That could mm-hmm. be the best." Uh Basically, so I take the I take the fillets and I dry them off, and then I take so there's multiple f- variations of shore lunch. Mm. It's very common in Minnesota. Now, there's other batters out there now too, but essentially there's regular, which is kind of like a flour with a little bit of seasoning, but nothing with a lot of spice to it. But then they have a Cajun one, mm. so I take a little bit of the Cajun and mix it in, and then so you take you dry your fillets, then you put them in that. 50-50 regular and Cajun. So you got a little bit of bite to it. Okay. Then you take it out and then you got a bowl of egg white that you mixed up. Okay. So you've got this layer, then you dip them in the egg white. Then you've got a, a, a bag or a bowl of panko crumbs mm-hmm. and then you dip them in the panko. So in, so you've, you've almost layered your flavors yeah. in there. So you've got the panko that gives that crunch and then inside of that, you've got your seasoned filet, and it is so good. It sounds it is like it. So it sounds good. like it gets so crisp. It is. So when so you crunchy. take a bite, it sometimes have you ever had fish that are soggy? Yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, they weren't oh, cooked it's the in worst. that. Such a disappointment. It is. You go in, you're so excited, and you're like, it looks golden brown and good, but no, it's actually a little soft yeah. and soggy. I if I ever make soggy fish, I don't want. I don't ever let. Anybody else eat them? I eat those ones because I, I want everyone else to have the yeah. best. Like I always handpick my best fillets and I put them on my wife's plate because I You're wanted a to good have. Man. I always wanted yeah. to have the best, and then I take the worst. But a crunchy, crisp fillet is so good. It is just oh, so yeah. You got to have your oil hot enough, but not too hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, get too dark. Exactly. Won't cook all the way through. So yeah. I, I've cooked enough fish in my day that I just I appreciate a good. Uh, filet and my buddies they appreciate it too so i'm delegated as the camp uh fish fryer when we go up into the boundary waters and we cook them over an open fire i mean like that is just like the best the best is yeah. you don't freeze them eat them right away and you will never have fish better than that so i'm going to the boundary waters in a couple of weeks so Woo. probably on our next podcast or maybe the one after that i can report back but yeah. what's your favorite side to cook with fish up north oh my goodness because I've done a lot, of, you know, if you bring, can, you know, canned beans or yeah, corn do- or things like that, you can just heat it right over the fire. But mm-hmm. any special recommendations for me? I feel like just the classic beans and then you chop up potatoes and mm. you can pretty much do everything over the fire. You can set the can, yeah. you know, <laughs> right next to it and heat up the beans and then do a pan with, uh, you can do onions. Yeah, and onions and potato. potatoes yeah. in there. Yeah, and then you can season that up real good. And then, oh, gosh, I'm getting excited for you now. Like, I want that meal. But then you got to stop recording these podcasts right before lunch. Who's planning this? Who's in charge? (laughs) You are. Darn it. I am in (laughs) charge. I got to start. No, you got to do this after lunch next time because I'm getting hungry. We have that treasure, though, the Boundary Waters. Yes. You know, have you been? Uh, no, I've oh, been near there. I've camped up there. I know. Somehow I've never done an actual Boundary Waters trip. So it's been on my to do list for, oh, about two and a half decades. So yep. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a group of girls and we're, gonna, we're super excited. You're just going to love it. There yeah. is, you know, high water right mm-hmm. now. That's a big issue up north. And um, let's hope that the water levels start to come down. But that will be affected up there yeah. for sure. But just the, keep that in mind. just getting away. You know, just getting away from everything. For the longest time, they didn't have cell service up there, and I loved mm. it. And then one time, um, one of my buddies called home to check in, and then all the other wives and girlfriends oh, were yeah. like, what? Wait a minute. You guys have service up there? Yeah. We're like, Scott, you ruined it for everybody. Now they know. And now you just ruined it for everybody who it was ruined know, for. I know, I know. Yes, I know. Well, that was like, t- that was over 10 years ago. Yeah. But I've been, yeah, it's one of my favorite places on planet Earth. And we're just really lucky that we have that here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, last question. Corey asked, well, it's a statement. Let's talk musky. 
Let's. I think we're going to table that for next time. But next yeah. time we're on the podcast, a couple weeks from now, it'll be just about musky opener. So I think we know. It'll what be we're after gonna... musky opener. It'll be the first week. It'll be week after. Of... You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. I'll be out there we'll on right op- opening weekend a couple times. I've got some trips planned on uh, to get after some of those muskies right off the bat. I'm excited. Yeah. Anything else you want to add today? Um, no, I think we touched on it at the beginning of the show that this is a great time of the year to get people out, take kids. The, the fish are active. You don't have to be in a boat. You can cast, cast from shore, cast from a dock. Um, you know, just get out. Just try it. It's it's a great time of the year to catch a variety of fish. And then to watch somebody else do it makes it even better. We close all of our television shows yeah. and episode number one with the same sentiment. Something that we believe very strongly in. And that's introducing somebody new to the great outdoors. Whether it's a friend, coworker, family member. Kids are always a great option. We hope that you're getting out there and bringing some new folks with you. Good luck in the Bonnie Waters. Thank you. Yeah. I'll report back. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, make sure that you subscribe uh, so you're updated when the next episode comes out and follow us on Instagram too. Good luck out there. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah.